Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person find a life full of freedom and purpose through Jesus. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. 1 Corinthians 13, it gets read at every single wedding ceremony. And so the goal for this series is to say, hey, let's not just put it in the ceremony. Let's not just say, ooh, and ah, when the the pastor reads it at the ceremony. Let's not just pin it on Pinterest, right? Let's pin it on our heart. Let's live it out. Let's apply it to our life, not just in our marriage, but in our co-working relationships. That's a little bit harder for some of you, right? In our co-working relationships, in our friendships, in our family circles, let's apply 1 Corinthians 13 type of love to that. Specifically, we've been looking at these last two verses, verses 7 and 8, and it says, Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. So I've been preaching uh, now, this is the third week on marriage, and I'll be honest with you, I almost decided to not preach on marriage anymore after this week because it's just like as soon as I started saying it, uh, Satan started attacking our marriage, our relationship, mine and Brooke's relationship. And I, I, I will never get up here and share junk that would embarrass her or embarrass us. Uh, but we've kind of already worked through this. And I'm not even going to go into a lot of detail other than to say legit almost didn't talk about marriage this week. Because I was like, I would rather talk about something else than to argue with my wife all day. You know what I'm saying? Just It was one of those weeks. And while, like, most of the weeks we're singing, like, all our love songs, I don't know about you, but we have, like, the soundtrack that we've developed over the 11-plus years we've been together. And kind of each season there's this song that defines our time. And if I could still make a mixtape, if those were still a thing, then I would make her a mixtape with these certain songs on it. And, And recently, a lot of the tracks have been filled up by James Bay. He's one of our favorite artists took her to see James Bay as a Christmas uh, present over at the Deepak just a few weeks ago, and it was awesome. But can I just tell you, um, I won't sing in Wild Love by James Bay this week. We were singing Love as a Battlefield this week. Come on, you know what I'm saying? It was just one of those weeks. I legit almost stopped. Because I looked at her and I was like, hey, um, I need to talk to you as your pastor. And she said, okay, well, I need to talk to you as your wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I had to clear that up real quick. But as we've looked at this passage here, I don't know about you, but I want this for my life. I want this for my wife. I want this for my kids, my family, and my friends. And maybe you look at this, you've heard some of the teaching, you're like, yeah, all that sounds good. I really want it. But maybe the question you're asking, if you're single, or maybe you've you've been in a marriage before, you're no longer in that marriage, you're no longer in that long-term relationship. Maybe your question isn't, can I discover this? like it is for some of you. For others, it's can I recover this? And that is the good news of the gospel. Maybe for some of you, you read this, and you're like, yeah, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, perseveres, love never fails, but all you see is the doubt. Cynicism creeps in, and you ask the question, is it doable? And the answer is yes, and that's what we talked primarily about last week with this theological foundation for this series. And here it is. Putting Jesus at the center is better than putting Jesus first. Putting Jesus at the center of everything is better than putting Jesus first and compartmentalizing and separating everything. And I'm not going to go into that point because I spent all of last week talking about it. So I'd love for you to, if you missed it, to find it on the podcast. But that is the foundation for which we are moving through here today. Is, Is that kind of love, 
1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, is that achievable? Yes. Is, are you able to discover that? Yes. Are you able to recover that? Yes. Well, how do you know this? Well, because in Galatians 2.20, we find this mantra, this principle that Jesus underlines everything with. Here it is, Galatians 2.20. Paul writes that I have been crucified with Christ. So in comparative terms to 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. What this verse is telling us in Galatians 2.20 is that my failure, my tendency to fail, my tendency, in other words, to choose to resent, to choose to be bitter as opposed to forgive and give grace. My, choose, my, my, my tendency to be selfish as opposed to being humble, right? I'm dying to those things. My nature of, of withholding forgiveness, my nature of, of quick, quick temper, all these things are dying as Christ has died He furthers it by saying this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, you know, you're familiar with how the wedding works, especially a Christian marriage. The pastor stands before the congregation. He looks at the bride, looks at the groom, and he says something like, you two today are are leaving everything behind and you're becoming one today. Right? Two Two are becoming one. You leave and cleave from what, you know, your parents, your family, your past, and you become one today. The part that we leave out sometimes is really you're becoming one with, with each other, yes, but you have to become one with Christ. And that's what this verse is talking about. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, which loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what that means. Here's what are the implications for that in terms of a believer. If you are a believer in this room today, and you find yourself in a relationship, a serious relationship, a dating relationship, specifically a marriage relationship, it really takes away your excuse. Now, that's not great to hear because when you're mad, you enjoy being mad, right? Am I right? You enjoy, you enjoy owning that, that disgruntledness with each other, right? You, you, you don't want to give in. You definitely don't want to say sorry, when Brooke and I were in a tiff, and normally when we're in a, in a relationship, I want to fix it. She wants space, right? I'm like, at the door, babe, come on, babe, I need you, babe. And she's like, I just want a bath, right? Give me some space. But if I continue to allow Josh Overton to dictate my response and my emotion, then the conflict will not be resolved. If she continues to allow Brooke Overton to take control, the conflict will not be Resolve. We must give way to Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can I just be honest with you? That is, what it, that is like 101 what it means to be a Christian. Daily taking yourself and laying it down. And not just laying it down, but killing it. That's why Jesus instructs us to pick up our cross daily. We must, we must crucify Right, the sinful nature in us daily and choose to respond as Christ would respond. What, why? Because that's how Christ treats us. Psalms 127.1, which again is a point from last week, says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. That's what Galatians 2.20 means. Is I'm not going to lead this marriage and treat this marriage and lead my family and treat my family and be in these relationships and treat these relationships as I know best and as I want to lead them. I'm going to lay myself down and allow Christ to guide me because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And unless the Lord builds the house, 
the builders labor in vain. Here's another implication for this, and this is something that is not easy to accept. But I'm trying to set us up for something a lot more um, that we can apply in just a minute, okay? Here's the deal. When you look at the life of Jesus, pick a gospel, any of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just, just watch closely how Jesus interacts with people. Anytime he finds somebody in pain, anytime he finds somebody in bondage, in, in sin, he never dismisses them. He never dismisses their pain, but he always extends an opportunity to experience freedom and then redirect that pain and that hurt and that sin into purpose. He does it every single time. So what does that mean? Well, it means in terms of your marriage that what was modeled for you or what was vacant growing up is no longer an excuse to treat your spouse or to not treat your spouse a certain way. Now, that's not dismissing the pain of not having a present father in your life. That's not dismissing the fact that maybe your parents never modeled intimacy for you and romance for you. And your model was mom and dad were always home and they were great parents. Dad was always working. Mom took care of the home. There was no, it doesn't dismiss any of that. It doesn't dismiss any of that. But Jesus extends an opportunity for every single individual to experience 1 Corinthians 13 type of love and then to offer 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. I have some dear friends of mine that have an amazing story. I want to invite them up here at some point to share that story from their perspective. But I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert, and this is super public, so it's not like I'm giving you the, the dirt, right? I know some of you would prefer me to do that. I'm not going to do that. They're really public with the story. But they got married, and they tried to do it their way. They got divorced. He became an alcoholic, struggling with PTSD from being a firefighter for years, and ran his life into a ditch. She found faith in Christ and began praying for him. They're divorced at this point. They find Christ together. They get remarried. And now they're 20-plus years of, of being married and share their story, have impacted hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people with the grace that God has given them through their relationship. But they lead a ministry, a marriage ministry, and the title of it, uh, at least it used to be, was Marriage on the Rock. As a direct um, kind of pun on marriage on the rocks, right, which typically means like it's about to fall apart, like this ship is going down. They spun it with and, and kind of played it with this marriage on the rock, the rock being Christ. And here's four things that they taught frequently. Now, a little bit of this is old school, and sometimes old school is a good thing. I have no problem with vintage. I want to share these four things with you. He says, uh, you can't truly love until you've received the love of God. We talked about that the very first week. As our capacity for being loved increases, our ability to offer love increases, right? So we can't fully love 1 Corinthians 13, until we've received that love of God. Second thing is you can't truly live until you've allowed Jesus to live through you. That is a direct point back to John 10.10. Jesus came to offer us life to the full. Third thing they teach is you can't truly forgive until you have been forgiven. Forgiven by God, our Father in heaven. 
Because you see, when we as an individual accept that forgiveness for our sin and our shame and our mistakes, again, it doesn't dismiss our pain, but it removes the excuse for us to withhold it because we have accepted it for ourselves and then we are instructed to offer that same thing back. We can't fully forgive until we've accepted the full forgiveness for ourselves. The fourth thing is you can't truly lead a family if you're not planted in the family of God, in God's house, with his instructions, with his guidance. Now, that may be vintage, but it's valuable. And really all it does is it furthers the point from last week. We have to allow the one who designed love and designed relationships to define that. And the difference between having a marriage on the rock versus having marriage on the rocks is who's defining your marriage? Who's defining your marriage? Now, I remember the first time I met Brooke. Uh, I'm a couple years older than her, so I played baseball with her brother, Little League Baseball, middle school age baseball. And then I saw her several years later, and I was like, good God, time has been good. So, girl, and I've told some of you the story. I may have even said it on a Sunday. She got in the front seat of my best friend's car to go on a date with him. That lasted about a week because I made my move, right? Started pursuing her, started trying to get up with her, and it, it paid off pretty good. But I was thinking through some of this series, and I know I'm calling back a lot to last week. I'm not trying to recycle a message. I'm just trying to further the point. Love that lasts is built on choices, not feelings. Feelings is what got us three kids. While we're still married, it's because we choose to be married. I'm just being honest. Feelings got us kids. Choices is why we're still married. The choices that we've made, the choices that she's made to still choose to love, to choose to forgive, to choose to be patient, that I've made to be patient, to forgive, and to pursue. And so as I started thinking through, how do we get this love that lasts? Last week I gave you basically some premarital counseling or maybe even some some post-marriage counseling. Uh, Today I just want to offer you three simple ways that you can choose to have a love that lasts. And this, again, if you're married, this is perfect. If you're in that engagement flow, this is perfect. If you're single, This is still great. It doesn't matter where you are relationally. These things work perfect. How do we get it? How do we get three, or how do we get love that lasts? I want to give you three choices that trump feelings and situations. Because feelings will lie to you. Just like you're in moments where you're like, man, I've never loved this person more than I do right now. There's more, I've never wanted to kill this person more than I've wanted to, like, right? Like, we don't talk about divorce, but she has threatened to kill me multiple times, Right? Here's three choices that trump feelings. Number one, an invitation. Choose to invite Jesus into everything. Well, we worship together. That's wonderful. Have you ever tried to invite Jesus into an argument? It's not fun. The times that I do it, I say them, I don't do what I mean, I say the most hurtful things. Things that I, I, I can't believe I say. Why is it that we love to hurt the one that we love the most? 
Because we know what will hurt them the most. And so if you don't kill that fleshly desire in you, what will it do? It will look to kill something. Kill a relationship. Kill a security factor. Right? Like I know exactly what I can say to Brooke to crumble her. Why do I find pleasure in that? I don't. I still say things sometimes though. She says things. We have to invite Jesus into every moment. That doesn't just mean the, 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 the bad moments. The good things too. I can't tell you how many times we're laid up on the couch or we're out somewhere with our kids and I've just whispered, God, thank you. Oh my God, thank you. Last night I got to take Judah to a Durham Bulls game and if you follow baseball, uh, the, basically the uh, Babe Ruth of today and, and um, another star player were there playing in Durham last night from the Yankees. And I got to go. And this has nothing to do with marriage, but just to show you another example, I brought Judah, who doesn't care as much as I do. I understand that. He's still enamored by it. He loves baseball. We went to the very edge. We, were, we had pretty good seats. Oh, thanks to Annie and Steve and Bethany and Ben, by the way, for those tickets. We had pretty good seats. But the player we wanted to see was on the opposite side of the field. So we walked all the way around to the stadium, got to the, literally the very corner, like the outfield wall was right here. We squeezed in there, and Judah climbed around in front of me, and he just got right here. And the star player was from like me to the drapes, and I just stood back and watched it. All I could say was, thank you so much. Thank you for this moment. So it's not just inviting Jesus into the moments where I'm probably going to do something or say something I shouldn't say. It's also gratitude. Invite Jesus into every moment, the good, the bad, the ugly. Give him access to it all because anything you don't give him access over, you put your authority over his. And we have to learn that it's not just Jesus, Savior on the cross. It's Jesus, Lord and King. And if that is true, he is Lord and King over everything. My will must bend to his. My authority must bend to his. So if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're single, what a a brilliant time to invite Jesus into your life if you're single again. What What a brilliant time. If you're a blended family, some of the situations that rise with that, the challenges that rise with that, inviting Jesus into that. Our marriage, whether your marriage is on the rock or your marriage is on the rocks, if you're a senior, if you're a grandparent, There is no season that you enter in life that stops you or or gives you an excuse not to invite Jesus over top of it. My my uncle, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, pretty much my whole lineage of, of my dad's side and some of my mom's side were farmers. And here's one thing I've learned is every season gives you an opportunity to plant new seed. Some of us are still hung up on what happened years ago. But as a farmer, you can't get hung up on what you got last season, even if your harvest was great, if you don't plant seed this season, you're going to go hungry. Like every season gives you an opportunity to plant new seed. Jesus gives you an opportunity, no matter what has happened in your life to today, no matter what your marriage has looked like till today, you have the opportunity to leave here today and to invite him into every moment and plant new seed. I think of the life of Jesus, again, which is a pretty good model to look at. Can you imagine thousands and thousands of years waiting for this promised Messiah to show up? You get to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and then there's just like this big gap. It doesn't seem like it's only a few pages, but it's a big gap between Malachi 
to when Jesus shows up in Bethlehem. And then even then, it's 30 plus years before Jesus does anything of note until he does. And his first recorded miracle is at a wedding. And I find it funny that the very first thing that the Son of God or the Son of Man does to reveal that he is the Son of God is at a wedding. Some of you know the story. They're at a wedding and uh, they're at the reception and the party's crunk, it's lit, DJ's going it's going crazy. And they run out of they run out of the juice. They run out of the wine. There's no, there's nothing in the cooler, ain't nothing in the bathtub, it's gone. Like it's zap. I don't know if you've ever been to a party where they ran out of what made the party fun. The party is no longer cool. So Jesus shows up, he's like, hey, we're gonna, I mean, we're gonna do something, right? And I don't want to kill the party. So he takes the water, he turns it in to wine. And the party, oh, the party, and it's going crazy again. Like, great, great, awesome. Jesus' first miracle, he turns water into wine, keeps everybody happy, the fellowship's great. The miracle never would have happened if Jesus was not invited to the wedding. Maybe the miracle we're missing in our life, in our marriage, in our family, is because we won't invite him into it. Oh, we, th- we think by showing up to church that, that that's, what, that's the invitation. No, 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 that's not the invitation. The miracle is preceded by the invitation. What area of your life do you need to invite him into? What relationship do you need to invite him into? The second step is initiation. You have to work on it. You got to take initiative on your relationships, on your marriage, on your family, on your friends. You have to initiate it. So many people, and I know I'm speaking specifically to marriages, so we'll just stay right there, kind of in that framework. If that's not you, you can transfer it to wherever it applies. We wait for the other person to take the first step. When we were dating, that wasn't the case. You were always 10 steps ahead of them. For some reason, we got complacent, and now we wait. We wait. It could be a point where we've grown so far apart that I, I've just settled that if, if I wait for them and they don't do anything, there's no initiation, well, then it frees me up of any responsibility. That's not how marriage works. Though. I don't care if it's Brooke's 20% her fault and it's 80% my fault. We have to own 100% of what we've added or detracted away from our relationship. I heard a story one time of a young guy walking with a much, kind of his mentor, they were just walking, talking about, you know, the women. He had been married for 20-something years. Young guy, fresh, only a few weeks. And he's like, oh, man, I've discovered the secret to marriage. This is a young guy talking. I've discovered it. It's so great. It's just like a walk in the park. You know what I mean? You just got to walk in the park. You got to talk. You have conversation. Enjoy each other's company. It's just a walk in the park. And the old man was like, yeah, it is a park. It's Jurassic Park. And sometimes she's a T-Rex. And then sometimes it's like those little dinosaurs in the grass. You don't even see them coming and just take you out, right? Let me give you a couple ways to take initiative in your relationship. These are going to be fast. Be available. Right? All right, church is dismissed. We'll see you guys next week. We are available to everything else and everybody else except the one that matters the most. I mentioned it last week. The, the average couple in America today spends four minutes in meaningful conversation. Be available. Second thing, be attentive. 
Yo, I hate being in meetings when people are on their laptops and on their phones. Well, I'm taking nuts. No, you're not. Because I've been the guy in a meeting on my laptop and on my phone. No, you're not. Right? Be attentive. That's why we're there. we got an hour to be together. Let's focus, right? Be attentive. Be aware. This is huge, especially for fellas. Don't assume you know what's going on in her heart. I know you fix everything at work, right? That's what we do. Don't assume you know what's going on in her heart. That's what I did this past week. I had observed the situation, you know, got my notes here, and uh, I diagnosed it, and I delivered my prognosis, and the problem was I misdiagnosed, and when you misdiagnose, you subscribe the wrong medicine, and when you take that medicine, you get side effects, and the side effects are worse sometimes than the actual issue, because I assumed I knew what was going on in her heart. Rather than being attentive and being available and being aware, I was trying to be an answer. She didn't need me to do that. Be affectionate. Hey, shh, don't amen that. <laughs> be affectionate. Again, initiate the romance, y'all. Initiate the romance. Drop that emoji. You know which one I'm talking about. Drop it. Drop that emoji, right? Send that picture. Just maybe delete your feed before you open your computer in public. But I'm serious, man. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed for finding my wife attractive. I didn't spend 10 years as a youth pastor preaching and teaching purity. I don't, I don't stand before my kids and teach them and want to raise them up to be pure for them to, for them to hear conversations about me and my wife not wanting to be with each other. Not, and not wanting to have sex. No, 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 I don't care. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed about finding my wife attractive. I knew what I had to do to get to her. Whose heart I had to go through. Not just her daddy, but her daddy. Right? I know what I had to do to get to her and to keep her. I'm, heck yes, I'm going to celebrate that. And I'm going to ask you to send pictures all the time. I don't even care. All right? Be appreciative. Some of y'all are like, <laughs> be appreciative. They ain't going to go there. All right. This is huge. Simple. When's the last time you told your spouse thank you? And I get it. You're like, well, that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, but what is the one thing you get burnt out on doing? The things you're supposed to do. So how about just saying thank you? Consistency is one of the most underappreciated values today. I just got done coaching our little league team. And I told them over and over and over and over again, not just the fundamentals, but consistency is what wins the game. Now, you turn on ESPN, what's celebrated, what's highlighted? The home runs and the strikeouts. But what moves the runners around the base to produce the runs to win the game? Consistency. Base hits. Consistency is so underappreciated. And I would bet that your spouse is a lot more consistent than you would give them credit for. Maybe acknowledge it and offer up some appreciation. The last thing is this, be aggressive. Levi Lusco wrote in his book, if your marriage isn't working, it could be because you're not working on it. Put the work in and watch it work. If that's just over your head, let me just give it to you this way. We all got bank accounts in the room. Go to the bank and try to make a withdrawal when you haven't been making deposits. How does that work out for you? What deposits are you making into the relationships around you? Maintenance on a car, you know this, right? Like changing the oil, 
brake pads, rotors, all those things are preventative maintenance. Preventative in such like, so that major issues don't happen. If you don't change the oil and you keep driving, the brakes start scrubbing and you don't address the pads and the rotors, then all of a sudden the gasket blows, the rotors get warped, and it's no longer maintenance, it's replacement. Be aggressive. And the last thing is intimacy. Invitation, initiation, and intimacy. And this is not the intimacy that you're thinking about. That's going to be next week. I'm talking about intimacy with your father, your maker, your creator, the one who designed love and marriage. Get close with your maker and you will draw close to the one he made for you. Now, Joshua, is that you saying that, you know, there's only one person for me? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying, when you enter into that marriage, that is your one. When you enter into that covenant relationship that we defined last week, that is your one. And if you want to love with a, with a fierce passion and fire that never fails, that doesn't give up, that doesn't, that's not jealous, it does not boast, well, then you have to get close with your maker, the one who defined it and designed it and received that for yourself. Then you can offer that kind of love. Inviting, initiating intimacy. And I don't know why this story popped up in my head, but as we were singing that last song, actually the last two songs, it just kind of flooded my brain and my heart. And I thought it would be a great way to end today's message as we think through those choices. Those are choices. Those are not based on feelings. Because if it's based on feelings, there's certain moments you're not going to want to invite Jesus into. But I make a choice. If it's based on feelings, then there's going to be situations where I don't want to initiate anything. But I'm making a choice. If it's based on feelings, well, then intimacy is out the window already. And make a choice. So as we think through some of that. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a men's retreat. And uh, just basically, it's in the mountains of Virginia. We're like in this bowl, in this valley, Goshen, Virginia. Beautiful mountains range all the way around you. And it's like a Thursday through a Sunday deal, sessions all throughout the day. But each day, for about three or four hours, you get free time. And there's all kinds of activities, archery, shotguns, fly fishing, disc golf, anything, name it, it's there. Rock climbing, ropes course. Well, me and a couple of buddies decided, you know what, we're going to skip all the activities and we're just going to try to hike up a range and get to the peak and just look out over the valley. We have three hours to do this. <laughs> this is not going to go well. <laughs> we uh, packed our stuff and we decided to set out on the track and it was, it was tough, man, because it wasn't like this path. It was like we made our own path. Like I felt like Bear grills for a minute. You know what I mean? Got my machete in the back. We're ready to go. And we're climbing up. And we get, you know, we're sweating. And I'm probably breathing harder than I should have been. And we're up there. And I remember getting to the top of it. And, like, the sense of camaraderie that we felt in that moment. And we weren't, like, all super close. Just me and one guy were. The rest of us, we were acquaintances. But in that moment, we were like, brothers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was awesome. And then we kind of went up to the peak and the sun was just starting to go down. 
So we've got to hurry up and get down. But the sun was going down. And it was just like, well, we've got to stop and look at this. This is awesome. Like truly in awe of the work we put in to get up here. The brotherhood that I felt in that moment. The beauty that was all around us. And then a few months later, I get a phone call on a Friday night about 2 o'clock that I don't answer. Like I didn't ignore it. I just was asleep. Didn't answer it. Oh, that's a lie. I did answer it. I didn't answer it the first time. I did pick it up. And it was one of the guys that I had climbed up the mountain with, high as a kite, broken. And something had just blown up in his life. And we talked about it briefly. I was like, yeah, man, let's meet up tomorrow. I'll, I'll go to your house tomorrow. We'll, we'll go get some food or something. I just kind of talked him off a ledge. It was the last time I ever talked to him. A few days later, he took, he took his life. And I compared the two moments, and I'm like, one moment I felt just utter, like, in awe. The other, I was completely paralyzed. In both situations, I was unable to move. I was just like, we got to get down this mountain, but I don't want to leave. The other was, I don't know what to do. And the invitation I want to make to you today is you have the opportunity to step in and feel an allness and, and God's love in your life now and to be, and be inspired and in awe of his power and his miracle and his healing and his guidance and his purpose and his grace for you right now. Or we can wait until you're paralyzed by the collapse of all that's around you. In both cases, Jesus is there. That's the good news. But I think the taken for granted piece of all of this is that Jesus offers us a firm foundation now. Thank you for listening. Join us each week here on the pod or live in Durham. Keep up with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rescue Church NC.